Good morning, brothers and sisters, and also those joining us online. A warm welcome to you all. And if you're a visitor this morning, it's wonderful to have you here too. Welcome. We're here to worship our triune God, and so it's our prayer that God's name is lifted high, praised and glorified through our worship. May all of us here be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This morning, the Lord willing, the worship service will be led by Brother Jack Vendongen. May God strengthen him in his task. Before we commence worship, let's join our voices together and praise God by the singing of Psalm 116, verse 1. unto the Lord. We confess with the words of Psalm 124 that our health is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Amen. Congregation, let us praise our God by singing Psalm 78, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. 
At the foot of Mount Sinai, the Lord gave his people his law, so that they would know how to live before him. It's also through the law that we come to know our sin and guilt, so that we may repent and turn to Jesus Christ, who kept and fulfilled the law for us. We will now listen to that law as it comes to us in Exodus 20. And after the reading of the law, we will sing Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, where we may make confession of our sins and rejoice in the forgiveness that we may receive. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's.
Let us now unite in prayer and ask the Lord for a blessing over this worship service. Lord God, Father in heaven, we draw near to you in prayer this morning. We may know from your word who you are, the one and only true God, creator of heaven and earth. You are majestic and holy. The four living creatures who are before your throne never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the twenty-four elders praise you by saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. O Lord, we can only stand in awe of you. Indeed, there is none like you. There is none beside you. Your might and power are immeasurable. You are beyond compare. We heard your law again this morning, and once again it convicts us of our sin. And then we can only stand amazed that you, being so holy and beyond compare, would bring us to church this morning into your presence and that you would greet us with words of grace and peace. We don't deserve that, Lord. It's only by your grace that we can come before you. It's only through the redeeming work of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour, that we can come to you and that you do not cast us out. We could just now sing from Psalm 32 that indeed, blessed is he whose sins have been forgiven. Blessed is the one who with a contrite heart has confessed his sins before you. And you call us to confess our sins before you, to acknowledge our transgressions and to repent from them. Heavenly Father, we hereby do confess our sins. We acknowledge that we have not kept your law. We have not loved you with all our heart, soul and mind, and we have not loved our neighbour as ourselves. We thank you that when we come to you with faith in Christ and sincerely repent and wish to turn from our sins, then indeed you do forgive. When we confess to you all our misdeeds, then you do forgive all of our guilt and sin, and you do not count against us all of our guilt and iniquity. We thank you and praise you and give glory to your holy name for such grace and such mercy. Lord, this morning we may hear a sermon that will call us to repentance from sin. Father, work in our hearts with your Holy Spirit, that we may accept it as your word that comes to us. May each and every one of us take it to heart this morning and apply it to our own personal circumstances. Give that we may not look at the person in the pew next to us, rather that we examine our own hearts whether we in our own lives condone sinful ways that keep us from living in a right relationship with you. We plead for your grace and mercy for each and every one of us and also collectively as your church. May the worship that we bring you this morning be pleasing in your sight and that your holy and great name may be glorified through it. Grant your blessing, O Lord, and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
The sermon that I may read to you this morning was prepared by Reverend R. Bradenhoff, now serving as professor at the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary in Canada. The scripture reading for this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 3, verse 1 to 20. You may find this on page 935 of your guest Bible. After our scripture reading, we will respond by singing Psalm 51, the verses 1, 3 and 4. Luke 3, beginning at verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetriarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetriarch of the region of Arturia, and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetriarch of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abram as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abram. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And me, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. 
So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison.
The text for the sermon is from the chapter we've just read, Luke 3, the verses 7 to 9. We'll just read those verses once again. Luke 3, verse 7. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abram as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In response to the proclamation of the Word of God, we will sing hymn 70, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved in Christ the Lord, the ministers of God's word have a very privileged task. Yet for ministers, preaching is a difficult job. What makes it hard is not really the years of study they do beforehand. It's not the many hours that are spent every week writing sermons. It's not even getting over the fear of public speaking. Preaching is difficult because of what that word means. It's a serious word, a word of great consequence. A minister has the privilege of bringing the word of salvation. But that very same message is also a word of judgment. In the Bible, these two always go together, salvation and judgment. They are inseparable. Because if I tell you that salvation is available through faith in Christ, then the opposite is also true. Those who don't believe will miss out on this gift and are under God's holy wrath forever. Even if we don't say it exactly like that every Sunday, that's always the implication. If you don't accept this gospel, there is no life or redemption, only death. For if the text has been faithfully explained, if Christ has been preached, then the minister's words must be received for what they actually are, the word of the living God. Many receive the word with faith. We thank the Lord for his grace. But sadly, other people, maybe even some who are here today, reject it. They don't care for the gospel. They haven't believed in Christ or really repented from their sins. This makes preaching hard. You wish you could be more convincing, more persuasive, that you could cause everyone to respond in the right way. 
But in the end, the one who brings the word knows that it's not his own. It's God's word. And that means that God takes care of the results. Almighty God makes all the change that's needed. These are the truths that John the Baptist surely held on to. For him too, being a minister of the word wasn't easy. He preached to all who would listen, calling them to repentance and faith. But even as he did, some turned away, and some others didn't care. But this was God's word, a word of salvation and judgment. So he'd continue to bring it boldly. And that's our theme. John preaches, repent, for Christ is on his way. And we'll see that the time is urgent, some are complacent, and that repentance must be real. John preaches, repent, for Christ is on his way. The time is urgent. Something big is about to happen in the Gospel of Luke. It happens in verse 2. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. This is the same kind of language used to describe the Old Testament prophets. The word of God came to Ezekiel, or Jeremiah, or whomever. And whenever the word of God comes, his messengers must speak. So John begins. He goes into the region of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. When we hear baptism, we probably picture a nice baptismal font. We see an infant presented by our parents and that solemn ceremony of sprinkled water we used to baptism. And the Jews knew something about ceremonies of washing. There was lots of this in the law as a part of being cleansed from impurity. There were also some fringe groups in Israel where a ritual, something like baptism. And if there were Gentiles who wanted to join God's people but they didn't want to undergo the pain of being circumcised, they'd be baptized. So people knew about different kinds of baptism washings with water. But John's message was something new. For he stood at the edge of the Jordan and called people to come into the water. Baptism was for everyone. For everyone who saw the need to change their ways. The word of God came to John in the wilderness who said that now is the time for repentance. Now and not later is the time for you to begin a different way of life. What makes this call so urgent? Why does he preach with such conviction? Well, think of what John's main task was, to prepare for the coming of Christ. Jesus was on his way, coming to deal with human sin once and for all. He was going to take away guilt and shame and make possible a new relationship with the Lord. When he comes, he'll open up God's grace to you in a new way, John said to everyone gathered 
When Christ comes, he'll bring salvation with him. But to receive him, you've got something to do. You need to confess your sins. To be ready, you need to repent. The same call comes with the preaching of the gospel every Sunday. We hear the word of salvation and we have to believe. Accept it with a heart of faith and trust. But we must also repent. What does that mean? The Greek word here for repentance is literally a change of mind. It means we change our minds about ourselves. We change our minds about our sin. We change our minds about God. And that isn't something merely intellectual or mental. Repentance isn't only a matter of having the right information, knowing a proper theology. It is deeply personal, a matter of the heart. Repentance is coming to see how lowly we are, how hopeless we are, how sinful. It means coming to grips with our secret idols and our addictions and unholy ways and sinful reactions. We change our minds about ourselves because we see, we see how much we need grace. At the same time, repentance is seeing that God is our one and only hope. We come to understand that it's only because of the Lord's great mercies that we are not consumed. By the grace of His Spirit, this is the beginning of a new life. And true forgiveness cannot take place without it. That is John's point. If you will receive this Christ and share in His salvation, your heart has to be ready. Be ready with a broken heart, a contrite heart. It's when I finally realize my own responsibility for all the sins I've committed. I can't blame anyone else. I won't blame anyone else. But I completely accept my guilt. And I admit that what I've done causes deep offense to God. In our life, nothing will get better if we don't face up to our sin. If we don't repent, our guilt will only be deepened and will drift further away from God. But by repentance, we may be ready to approach the throne of grace, and it's then that God will receive us. This was the message that John brought in all urgency and he attracted big crowds with these words. This preaching was a breath of fresh air after all the legalistic ramblings of the Pharisees. Lots of people came, but unfortunately, not everyone was serious about starting over. He said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers. No one could miss the point of these words in the Old Testament, vipers represented the enemies of God. A viper is deceitful and dangerous and full of venom. And there's something else about snakes. 
They always know when danger is near. That's exactly what brought some people to John. They could sense that the time was urgent, could feel the heat being turned up. So they want some life insurance by getting baptised. John sees through their deceit. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Baptism won't save you, he says. It's not an immunity card in case you run into trouble. No, if we've received baptism, then our lives must also change. More on that a bit later. But first, we remember that whenever salvation is near, judgment is close behind. That beautiful opportunity you once had can become a terrible tragedy if you don't respond in time. Those gospel words that are heard every Sunday, the baptism that I once received, these might be the very things that testify against me. Even now, John warns, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Picture being out in the forest looking for firewood and you see a good tree. You fuel up your chainsaw, get it ready, place it near the tree. All it takes is someone to pick it up and start sawing. That's what these days are like, says John. The axe is ready, judgment is near. The coming of Jesus means that it's decision time. The thoughts of many hearts will soon be revealed. What do you think of the Christ? And if the time was urgent back then, it can only be more urgent now. The Saviour has already come, and he has gone, and soon he's coming again. The days are short. The end is near. We see the evidence. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. So, before judgment comes, we announce that there is available new life in Christ. There is a way to move beyond the guilt of your past sins. There is a way to be cleansed, not just outwardly, but inwardly, even to the deepest places of the soul. Even the worst things we've done can be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, scrubbed away forever. You can be free to live in the joy of salvation. Ask for God's help to change your mind, to think differently about yourself, about the living God, about your total need for His grace. If you come in a lowly spirit to God, He'll never reject you. It's wonderful to hear this gospel, but it also needs to be declared that when there is no repentance, God's wrath will come. For our own good, that scripture says, if there is no fruit, then the tree should be cut down and thrown in the fire. That sounds very serious, because it is. It's urgent. It's time to be repentant and not complacent. And that brings us to our second point, some are complacent.
There is an old saying that a preacher's job has two parts, that he is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. To guilty people and hurting people, the Word of God gives rich consolation. And to people who are lukewarm and lazy, the Word gives a strong admonition. This is precisely what John the Baptist does. Many people who came to him assumed that they were good people. After all, they were God's chosen ones, part of Israel, members of the covenant. Wasn't their salvation practically guaranteed? So when John preached about repentance, they asked, that might be necessary for the really sinful people, but do we also need to repent, like he is saying? There's not too much we need to prepare ourselves, is there? We're God's covenant people, after all. But John knows what his audience is like, so he cuts them short. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abram as our father. This was just the answer some people thought. They had the status as the children of Abram, a place before God. And it's true. Belonging to the covenant of grace is an incredible blessing. So many people live and die without hearing what we have heard or receiving what we have received. Yet do you hear what John says? Baptism or church membership is no substitute for a changed life. God seeks a repentant heart. You must be born again. Think about how we are not so different from John's audience. We too are members of the covenant, part of God's people. Being baptized is a great gift, together with receiving God's promises. But what if you've never truly confessed your sin and put them to death? What does it mean if we still haven't gone to Christ for cleansing? It is easy to be complacent. If you've grown up in a Christian home and always gone to church and even a Christian school, there's probably much that is good in your life. You have good habits, good manners, much that is outwardly acceptable. People might even commend you for being a hard and honest worker and having lots of Bible knowledge. Yet these good things sometimes give a false sense of comfort. They can keep us from facing the hard question of what lies beneath. Is there humble faith in Christ? Is there repentance from sin? Do I have a real love for God and a real love for other people? Somewhere along the line, people might trust in entirely the wrong thing. We have Abram as our father. We belong to the right church. We have the water on our forehead. It's something for all of us to reflect on. Have we missed the one thing that God really seeks? Thankfully, John puts us on the right path. It's the path of repentance. 
With our whole life, we must turn to the Lord. We seek to depend on Christ with all our heart. And that begins simply with recognizing our sins and repenting from them. So, what are my sins? Can I name them? Can I bring them into the open? This takes some self-reflection, some soul-searching. What sins do we tolerate in our souls? Are there any bad habits which I've come to accept in my life? Maybe it's wrong ways, like proud ways, hostile ways of thinking about other people. Or it is impure sexual desires. Or it is some treasured idol. Are there any sins I've tried to hide from the eyes of everyone? Will we be honest about these sins and acknowledge them? And if you will confess our sins, where do we go? If you know how you failed, that you can't do it on your own, go to the Saviour in faith and love and worship. Put your trust in Him as Lord. Depend on Him as your one hope and comfort in this fallen world. And let's re realize something else as the covenant people of God, as His church. The truth is, God doesn't need us. Yes, God has sworn His faithfulness to us. But the Lord can raise up believers anywhere. God can receive worship well enough without us. This is what John says to the Jews. I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. If God can create the whole world out of nothing, he can do this. If he can create a nation out of senior citizens like Abraham and Sarah, then God can create a people who will love and obey him. That is a real warning. If he doesn't find faith, God can move on. And in the years after Christ, this is what God did. Many of the Jews wouldn't accept the Messiah. So God sent his gospel to the Gentiles, even to all nations. From these stones, he would raise up children of Abraham. Beloved, we are those stones. We've been graciously included, now invited into God's family through Christ. But there is still no room for false comfort. From his covenant people, from you and me, and everyone here, God is seeking faith, and he is seeking the fruits of faith. And that brings us to our third point, the repentance must be real. After calling, warning and baptizing, John had another question for the people at the Jordan. The question was this, what will they look like after they've received baptism? They'd be dripping wet, sure. They might have gone on the way smiling and relieved. 
But if you have really believed in God and repented of sins, then our life will look different from before. That's the force of verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Baptism has value, but what does it produce? It requires that we live in daily gratitude for forgiveness, that we show we are now committed servants of the Lord. In other words, repentance isn't an abstract activity. It's not just a word from the Catechism. Repentance is something you can see. It's a visible response to the grace of God. As we draw on the sweet waters of His grace, there will surely grow fruits on our branches. In the first place, true repentance changes our relationship with God. If you know yourself to be a desperate sinner, but now a forgiven and cleansed sinner, you will begin to love God. You will thank God and you will worship Him. Repentance transforms how you, you relate to God. Now you want to spend time with the Lord. You want to listen to Him. Your greatest joy is knowing God and knowing Him better. In the second place, repentance shifts our relationship with other people. It's this, this aspect which receives the emphasis in our text. Turning away from sin must shape how we treat those around us. We treat them with grace and gentleness. We treat them with mercy and meekness. The person who is forgiven becomes a forgiving person. You hear this in John's answer to the crowd. In the following verse they ask, what shall we do then? Verse 10. They have understood this point about bearing fruit. So they seek application. What are the results of this repenting? John says, He wears two tunics, let him, let him give to him who has none, and he wears food, let him do likewise. In other words, show kindness and be loving. That is always the mark of true repentance when it changes what you actually do toward others. And you share your possessions and you relieve suffering. And this will mean different things for every different person. There are two more examples in our chapter. The tax collectors ask what they should do. And John tells them to collect only what is required and to stop stealing. Some soldiers too ask what they should do. And John says they should no longer take advantage of people. If you've repented, then these are the real and concrete changes you'll make. We should all say, we should all say the same thing. What shall we do? It's asked by the repentant husband and the repentant wife. It's asked by the young person who wants to repent from his sin, and by the child, and by the older member. What will the results of repentance be in my life? How will I show 
my response to the gospel. You always want to answer that in practical ways. Repentance is concrete. If there has been a specific sin, then we seek to change. If I be making an idol out of money, I stop and pursue and gain delight in the Lord alone. If I be putting impure things in front of my eyes, I stop and pursue better things. If I've been getting furious with my family, repentance means I stop and I seek God's grace for self-control. If I've been neglecting prayer, then I seek to begin again and to create new habits. There are countless examples. The point is that repentance means change. What was I doing? before I repented? What kind of life was I leading before? And how will things be different now? How will I begin to put things right? And that's not a one-time question, but it's asked again and again, day after day. What shall we do? We bear fruit for the glory of the God who saved us. In all this, let's remember that the time is urgent. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. That's a serious warning, but it's spoken in love because God wants us to live. For all those who repent from sin, he promises his never-failing grace. For all who turn in faith to Jesus Christ, there is the joy and peace and comfort of knowing him. So pray for God's help to change. Ask for his strength for repentance. And he will surely come near and show grace. Amen.
Let's unite in thanksgiving and prayer. Merciful God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could hear your word again this morning. We may know from your word that you do not desire the death of the sinner, but rather that he turns from sin, turns to you and lives. We thank you that your word as we heard it just now called us again to that, to repent from sin in our lives, to flee from it, and to flee instead to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is for us that every Sunday again you confront us with the reality of your word. The reality that there is no salvation for those, that there is salvation for those who repent and judgment for those who don't. We acknowledge and confess that often it is so hard for us to repent from sin. We so often have our favorite sins that we love to hold on to. We thank you that once again you call us not to be complacent about sin in our lives, but rather that we confess them to you and then break with it, and that we then also truly change. We acknowledge that we cannot do that from ourselves. Therefore we pray for your spirit to work that in our hearts. We pray for your grace and mercy in the lives of each and every one of us. Lord, you have made us so very rich by establishing your covenant with us. May it be that it will never testify against us. We pray that if any in church, here in church this morning who have not turned to Christ through repentance and faith, that they, may, that they may be convicted and as yet turn to you, repent from sin and place their trust in Jesus as their Saviour. We bring before his throne of grace also those that have been baptised, that have heard your word, but turned against you in sin and unbelief, and no longer gather with us. We just heard that without their repentance, they will come under your just judgment. We therefore pray, O Lord, please have mercy on your straying children. Rescue them from their sin and unbelief, and give that they may indeed turn to you in faith, and repent from their sin. Then, Lord, we thank you from the depths of our heart for the gospel. Give that we may always be amazed that you in your grace have rescued us from the eternal punishment in hell which we deserve because of our sin against you. We are so thankful that you sent your Son into this world to redeem it, to redeem us, to free us from the power of sin and the power of slavery to sin. We thank you and praise you for the gift of your grace. We give thanks to you that you safeguarded your churches in PNG during the recent spate of violence, especially in the cities of Port Moresby and Lay. It confronts us with the reality that PNG can be a dangerous place to live and work. We pray therefore for the safekeeping of our missionaries and mission workers and their families. Keep them and all your people safe in your care. When you hear and see all this violence, we again realize how much the people there need the gospel. Please give that it may go out. 
and that there may be repentance from all the violence and a turning to you who alone can give peace. We bring before you a throne of grace to wars in the Ukraine and in the Middle East. Again, we see so much violence and bloodshed. We are astounded by the barbarianism and atrocities and the wickedness that man commits against fellow man. We see such intense hatred of the Jews. We pray that the gospel may go out to Jew and Muslim alike, that Jews too may as yet come to faith in the Saviour who was born from them, and that Muslims too may turn away from a false belief to a faith in the one and only true God who has revealed himself in his word. We also bring before your throne of grace those that are persecuted because of their faith in you. Pray especially for Christians in places such as North Korea and China. Please sustain them and help them to remain faithful, even when they face imprisonment or even the threat of death because they believe in Jesus Christ as their Saviour. We pray for the families in our church. Father, we pray that there may be a strong bond of faith between husband and wife, so that they may instruct and guide their children to love you and to trust you. May in this way a new generation arise that will live to your praise and give you the glory that is due to you. Father, there is also much brokenness. We pray for those that are alone, either by being single or through the result of a broken relationship. We pray be near to them and give them that they may find their hope and comfort in you. Be with those that grieve the loss of loved ones, and we think especially of the widows and widowers in our midst. Be a father to them and surround them with your great love and care. We pray for those that have to deal with debilitating illness in their life. Be near to them, O Lord, and give that through their suffering they may be perfected in faith and love for you. Father, up to now you have given us freedom to serve you. We thank you that we may come to church unhindered. At the same time, we see ominous signs that the freedom we have may not last. We pray therefore for the governing authorities that they may not cave in to the incessant pressure to curtail religious freedom in our country. This morning we may give of our gifts for the Ministry of Mercy. May we give chiefly according to the abundance that we have received. We pray for the brothers who serve as deacons in this year church. Give that through their work in the congregation None in the congregation may live uncomforted under the pressure of sickness, loneliness or poverty. May their work of mercy also cause you people to grow into the fullness of Christ. O Lord, you are the one and only true God. There is none like you. To you belong all majesty, power and glory and dominion. To you only we give all of our worship and adoration. To you alone, Father, Son, and Spirit, be all the glory, now and forever. Amen. The thank offering this morning will be for the Ministry of Mercy, after which we will rise and sing in conclusion 
in 15, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
congregation, lift up your hearts unto God, receive the blessing of the Lord, and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.